Hey everyone, Tom here, Alf Metallica, back with yet another episode of the show. This is the 140th edition of the show. This is actually the penultimate load track. Episode 152, Until It Sleeps, will be the final song from my beloved load. And, you know, as we're getting towards the end, there are a lot of these more minor milestones, the last songs of certain albums or whatever, and, you know, the end is in sight. So if you're not that copacetic with the show, go back, check out all the old episodes that we've done with, you know, maybe there's a guest you enjoyed and he's been on a few times or whatever, or a certain album you dig or a top five or the interview. And, you know, you know, go back. You're aware of that, that that archive exists at Metallica Pod, follow us there on Twitter, Patreon, support us on Patreon, all the episodes like this go on there first, iTunes, leave us a review, you know, you've heard all the stuff from me, and my guest today as well, I mean, how to introduce this guy, the second most popular host of the second most popular Metallica podcast, <laughs> Clint, how's it going? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going good, dude, it's going good, thanks for having me back, I love being on your show, and I was going to say, Ethan and I, we recorded our new episode today too, we were talking about you, and uh, you know, that your journey with Alpha Metallica is coming to an end. Yeah. And it's like, it's a sad in a way, but it's also like, well, I get it, you got to move on. But you've you've created a body of work that will live, I guess, on the internet as long as people have the internet that I think is really important and mm-hmm. cool. And like having a guest, a different guest on for every show in different parts of the world, different perspectives on the band and where they're coming from, what their favorite era is. I think it's going to be something that Metallica fans are going to dip into long after you're done doing it. So congratulations on that. I think no, it's really great. No, thank you. Yeah, and I hope so as well. Like, I've always liked critical documents. Like, um, right. you know, I think it's Helen Vendler has done this giant analysis of all the Emily Dickinson poems and whatever. And, you know, just an appreciation of something like that. And they do exist in other forms as well. There's like a Beatles one. I think there's a Bruce Springsteen one and stuff like that. And I have, you know, I ha- I, you know people will be aware I've said on the Patreon and stuff, probably send a few episodes. Ideally, I'd like to do a hardback collection at the end of the show of mm-hmm. all the, of, of all the chats transcribed. I've got, you know, I am early days doing that. I've done a little bit of work on that, but you know, something like that, just to stroke my ego, really, just just to have it there in vellum. Like, I think that'd be wonderful. I thought about trying to do it too. Um, <clears throat> this was maybe two years ago, but yeah, just like taking the hundred. I wanted to call it something like a hundred conversations about Metallica. Yeah. And and take all the ums and buts and mm-hmm. clean it all up and just have it be this awesome compendium. It would even be something great to go along with your show. Like, oh, the Alpha Metallica guy, he's got this cool book. Sure. You know, I, I think Sam Harris is doing that with his podcast. Mm-hmm. I know that Marin did that with his. Howard Stern uh, spoke about it and on Stern. Conan. Yeah. Yep. Which uh, you actually got me onto the Conan podcast which I recently binged. You digging uh, it? Him and I, I enjoy it. I don't, I think we had this discussion before. My Conan is pre 9-11 Conan. Mm-hmm. There's a certain flavor to, there's a certain writer's room aesthetic where he was, he was gawky, but it was very kind of editorial. I don't know. I still love Conan. Don't get me wrong. I still, I still think he's king. Um, you know, someone like Fallon just makes me sort of question reality. In the same way that Ed yeah. does, but I think most people know he's shit. Like, there's no, there's no kind of like grand mission. I hope so. I, I, he's such a broad stroke. Like, I think a lot of like average Americans like Fallon. You know, mm-hmm. Tonight Show. I think people who have di- dug a little deeper into, you know, into Johnny Carson and who kind of were on Yo, board. Dick with- Cavett was the best in my eyes. Like. Dick Cavett is amazing. It, mm. I'll watch anything with Dick Cavett. He was one of those guys like Johnny, where I, even if I didn't know who the guest was, I'd watch yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Uh, for someone like Leno or Fallon, it's got to be someone I really dig. And then even if I really dig them, they're just going to play some fucking stupid game with... Sure. Like, I didn't even like the Metallica plays Inner Sandman with Kazoo's bit. Uh, I just don't... No. It's just not for me. Sure. You know? Like, or I, I don't like him giving Donald Trump a noogie or, oh, yeah. you know, the, putting an egg on Tom Cruise's head. It's very... I don't know. It's very sophomoric to me. I don't know. I don't want to sound like an asshole. It's no, just not for me. No. Well, talking of righteous collaborations, you know, you have been on the show before with Ethan as well. I think our first episode was Better Than You, which mm-hmm. is a great early episode. Really locked horns on that track. And, uh, you know, I'm going to pose a similar question that I posed to you on that episode. And your response to that question was just pure bafflement. You didn't even understand what I meant by that. Yes, yeah, uh, when you asked me if I was proud of Kirk. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Still a weird framing. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm pre- I'm more prepared this time I think for that kind of that kind mm-hmm. of uh back and forth. Right, right, right. And uh yeah, Ethan came on I think the following episode for Blackened and then you mm-hmm. guys came on for Enter Sandman. And I think was it remember tomorrow you came on for? No, I did um What's I it? did ju- just a bullet away. That's right. I, I, I'm sorry. 
like I listened to a lot of records, you know, mm-hmm. recently been digging mm-hmm. into uh, Laurel Canyon stuff and really Bonnie Hoskins' book Hotel California about all those sort of singer songwriters. A lot of the Birds solo career, um, especially the, the stuff with Dillard and Gene Clark, a fantastic exhibition stuff. But I must have listened to Beyond Magnetic way more than a lot more records. It, it's so forgettable. I find so bland. Yeah, I mean, I think they could have. Their their whole thing with it was that they never they never revisited it and mixed it or t- touched it up. I think it could have done with some of that. I I could. I mean, my favorite song on that EP is "Helen Back." I would take "Helen Back" over, you know, uh, maybe over "Suicide and Redemption." I get that they had to put yeah. an instrumental in there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a hard, hard trade though, isn't it? A suicide uh, instrumental for a song, like. Yeah, I mean, I I any I death magnetic songs that are coming off realistically. Do what? Is there any Death Magnetic actual tracks you would take off to replace? Like, uh, let me let me look real quick. I know, just let me be I thorough. Think end of the line's it. locked on. That was just yeah, the oh, lights, yeah. incredible cyanide, of course. Stand Those aren't going thumbs. anywhere. All night long. I know you love Judas Kiss. That's my favorite from my the record. There's, there's nothing there. There's no, there's yeah, no space. I, I think you're right. I think I think that. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Kind of upon further review, those four songs that ended up on the bonus EP, they kind of belong there. Yeah. I, but I think they're cool though. I think they're good. I think they fit the album. I think they fit the theme. I love that Rebel of Babylon's kind of inspired by Lane Staley. Um, it's cool, man. I mean, it's extra. It's more Metallica. Oh, you know what? I might could lose Cyanide. What? <laughs> yeah, I think I could might could lose Cyanide. Holy shit, that's some of Hetfield's most inventive, like, open E work. Like, I know, it's cool, but Jesus. I think I might could lose it, just personally. That, that rhythm but, in the chorus, though, the dance with the melody. Well, I It's intoxicating, I that is, like. Down here now, like, Jesus. Losing Suicide and Redemption, though, like you were saying, is like yeah. an instrumental for an actual song, I think, and this kind of has to do with Thorn Within, although I know you wanted to talk about some other shit before Thorn Within, sure. but I identify so much lyrically with James, especially in the 90s. And uh, mm. so, you know, I think a song like Hell and Back, which from what I understand about it, being about his sort of eternal struggle with uh, with booze or chicks or whatever it was, I find the, the depth of inside of him more interesting. You know what I mean? Like I always sort of can chew on that more than like, oh, a bunch of cool, fun, fast riffs. You know, that's just not really wow. what brings me to the table with Metallica. Maybe when I was a kid, but not anymore. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I've ever identified with a song in the way you're saying. Like, I definitely, definitely appreciate what you're saying, but I would never like a song if it was musically, you know, slightly more repugnant, perhaps, in form within. But lyrically, I'm like, yeah, this is so me. It's like, for me, it's got to have that soul and grace to it at its center. Like, maybe it's just the way I look at a song differently. But are, you into, are you into Dylan at all? <clears throat> I actually think Dylan's one of the most overrated songwriters in history. Okay, well, that makes sense, yeah. Because yeah. he, what he'll do is he'll set up sort of a, a cool... But a, 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 he'll build a little, a rough little utilitarian house, mm-hmm. and then he'll just dress it in like verse after verse after verse, and it just yeah. blows your mind the way he, the way he unfolds a story. But musically, he's just sort of made a very uh, utilitarian, rugged house to paint it on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when the band left, fucking okay, Mark Knopfler was around for Infidels, I think. But yeah, his instrumentation, Dylan, is is laughable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a different thing, you know. I just I, I gravitate towards different people for different things. I mean, I, I like to listen to the the band Bush sometimes, and God knows mm-hmm. what those lyrics mean. Red Hot Chili Peppers, oh, yeah. complete non- nonsense. Oh, yeah, lyrics. so much of, by the way, terrific. No idea what Can I Pet Your Wolverine means. Absolutely, yeah. Hardcore, soft porn, what is right, he talking right. about? I have no clue. <laughs> Doesn't matter, though, you no, know. No, absolutely not. And in, a, in an odd twist of fate, the graphics to that video, the California Cajun video, they're kind of, to me, like PS1. I think that was like late 90s sort of thing. But they've crystallized beautifully. And I actually saw that video the other day. And it's just, yeah, a, a wonderful document. But we're talking about Form Within, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've both set our flags in the ground on past episodes. Everyone knows, <laughs> you know, you love Reload. You get regular fawning emails from fans. Oh, your podcast made me rediscover Reload and Load. And now I'm living. I'm like... I'm vomiting when I hear that. To be honest, that, that makes yeah, me, no, makes we me we haven't we somehow haven't done that with you, but no. uh, but I think that uh, well, how do I how do I put this? Um, <laughs> I think that in some ways you're a little bit more investigative and more not thoughtful, although you are thoughtful. I don't want to say that no, no, people I, aren't yeah, thoughtful. Yeah. I think a lot I mean, of the people that are, yeah. 
I think a lot of the, what the people are saying that feel that way, where they're coming from, is that they never really investigated it after the initial butt hurt. So mm. <clears throat> you don't really strike me as that guy. And in fact, I know that you're not because you're going through doing a podcast where you have to thoughtfully listen to all these goddamn songs, whether they're on a record you like or not. Right. So I think we're getting people going, oh, I, I never really wanted to check it out again. And I finally did. And I like it. You have kind of thoroughly checked it out. And it's just not for you. Yeah. And I, under, I understand that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And get back to Dylan. I mean, everyone has different sets of ears, of course. And you're just going to inter- it's like trying to change someone's favorite color. It's just it's what appeals to them. On, on a certain level and uh yeah to me no this is i mean this track i have to give it one of the most damning comparisons possible as a critic mm-hmm. it, it sounds a bit like post grunge mm-hmm. like what what does that mean kind of that backwashy puddle of mud kind of <laughs> just you know lethargic insipid it, it's a reload quality load track Right. I, yeah, and that 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 I stumble with that though too because I don't I don't see much separation between the two records. I There's feel a like huge separation. I mean, they were all written in the same time and recorded the exact same time. So the separation I think is a is a sort of top down reengineering of purpose that mm. people have done. Um, I think that there's elements of reload that are a little more far out because they had more time to tease them and make them weird because they went on tour in between them and they you know. But I think in general, the vibe of both records, same producer, same songwriters, same sessions, same studio, it, it doesn't seem that, I don't know, it doesn't, it's, it's like saying Usual Illusion 2 is that different from Usual Illusion 1. Uh, fair, fair point, fair point. I mean, I think those records are a little bit more distinct, the Guns record, just in terms of the genres that they can go down. Here, I think maybe Load ultimately has more of an artisanal quality, i.e. the songs feel a bit more chiseled to me and a bit more mm-hmm. together. And there is a certain difference in sound, but but it, but it's pretty negligible here. But I suppose what I mean is that, like, Low to me has always been a record of two halves, really. I think when you get to Cure on the eighth track, it's a mm-hmm. complete irrevocable mess, really. It's downhill. Uh, Poor Twist to Me, Waste My Hate, Mama Said, Form Within, Ronnie, The Outlaw Torn. You know, I think I think the opening seven tracks pretty pretty decent, actually. And I'm yeah, the, to get into, the first seven are super strong, no doubt. And there's no doubt there's a dip in the back half. I just sort of grew up... And uh, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. This is sort of how yeah. I was programmed is to just take records like that. Records kind of all have always felt like a seesaw to me and like a give and take. And I don't I mean, you know, even a record like Rumors by Fleetwood Max got some bullshit on. It. Oh, daddy. I don't think it's a song I ever want to hear right. again. And that's one of the greatest records of all time. I don't know if there is a perfect record. You know, do you know of a record that's like even Ooh. even, even Appetite have, has has like say, uh, anything goes. Which I think's not great. Like. Yeah. And thinking about you, I mean, I like. Oh, that song, what? But thinking it, about you is one of the best songs. I mean, but is it like is it as good as Sweet Child and yes, Paradise no, and Jungle and Brownstone? Izzy's rhythm oh. in the chorus there. And that, well, then we can. Ah, well, like, oh man, we can agree on uh, anything goes though. Even though I like anything goes, but it's not Night Train, you know. So no, no, it's not. No. To 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 me, the how good the front half is. It, it's real. It's real hit heavy too. Like it's real commercial in the front half. And uh, I mean, dude, until it sleeps is my favorite Metallica song. So I'm way mm-hmm. big on the front half of of Load, but I think the back of it, it just it's like more room for James. It's more room for them to just be weirder, which I think is awesome. It's it not that harkens- weird though. It's not. It's not that experimental. It's quite repetitive. I think, for example, for Thorn Within, I mean, I think that there's some guitar tones that are pretty weird. This flangey chorus thing, the chords are pretty unique for them. That's not weird. Experimenting with it's all these different harmonies. It ain't like I don't know. Do what? Zapper, it's not like I, I. I don't think it's that kind of confrontation. Okay, let's get into the song because I feel okay. that the intro is one of the most boring intros Metallica have ever done. The dun dun that ponderous clunk of these wilted chords and that dry <laughs> ear moan of feedback from Kirk. We get the count in as well. Um, I mean, Metallica routinely have some of the greatest intros of all time in music. Right. This, to me, just, I don't know. I know it's part of the riff and it builds up with the feedback and whatever, but to me, I just, I kind of, I'm pulling out my hair from the, from the day go. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, again, I see it like, yeah, it can't, they can't all be ga 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 It can't all it can be... can be fade to black, though, like, can't be damaging. Like, they, could, they can change the game. Yeah, I mean, I actually like it. I think it's pretty ominous, and I like how the guitar on the right comes in. I think it's James, and it's like the da da now now, and it doesn't really finish the phrase. Then when Kurt comes in, he starts finishing it. It's a sort of, in my opinion, when I'm thinking about how they must have written it and arranged it, recorded it, it's a sort of well constructed piece of chaos. 
where you don't really know what's going on until it comes in. I will say that the, the main riff, the chorus riff, is a super derivative STP. Go, gown, go, gown, go, gown, go, gown. That's sex type thing from Stuntable Pilots. Yeah. It's like really blatantly a ripoff, which is really odd. But nevertheless, it's really, I think it's fucking awesome. The descending thing, I think it's cool. I like that they introduce it before they even play the first verse. So there's this setup for the chorus that I think is, is smart of them. And I like that they bring the wah in, but it's not a shitty 80s wah. It's this kind of Alice in Chains wah on the main riff. Um, those would be my platitudes in defense of the intro. Mm, mm. I I really hate that riff, that Stone Devil Polish riff that you mentioned <laughs> before. And it's funny you mentioned them, actually, because I recently started a new job. And we have this office, and in one of the offices, uh, one of the screensavers was sent a Stone Temple Pilots logo. And like, I mm. work in quite a small office, and I was sort of meeting everyone. I was like, oh, who's a Stone Temple Pilots fan just thinking? And then I saw that the guy had a tattoo. Uh, is this guy at my work, this Venezuelan dude, long-haired dude, really into rock. We've connected a lot. We've jammed a little bit as well. I don't really play guitar much anymore, but we've sort of hung out and played a few songs. Anyway, he loves Stone Temple Pilots to the point where me and him got in a huge argument the other day because he says that Soundgarden aren't as good as Stone Temple Pilots. And I, I, I just didn't know what to say. No, that would be really, really hard really for me like, too. Wow! Like, and he was like throwing songs at me, and I was like, "Nothing's as good as Super No." What, what are you talking about? Nothing. They've never matched that record ever. No, I mean, no. I mean, I didn't really follow anything after their third record, Tiny Music. But if they're taking the best songs from those records, like Lady Picture Show, Big Bang Baby, uh, Tripping on a Hole, Wicked Garden, Vaseline. None of that shit touches almost anything on Super Unknown. No. No. In terms of complexity and harmonically interesting, I do like the idea of like you mentioned, you got a new job and then you you said so many things about this guy, like you found a screensaver, then you saw his tattoo, and then he's Venezuelan, and then you jammed with him. I liked imagining all that happening like in your first morning <laughs> at work. It was, it was, like we've already jammed. I know, I know, and now it's over. We can't be friends anymore because what he said about Soundgarden. But it was, was it a relationship ending argument? Uh, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, we've, we've got on subsequently over a lot of games. Yeah, your second day is tomorrow, so yeah. we'll have to see if you survived it. <laughs> isn't, isn't it funny, though, how like people you just fucking plant your flag somewhere, and then it, you can get really offended. I've, I've had to really check myself on it. Doing the podcast has helped. I'm sure it has with you, too. But Yeah, sometimes you get annoyed. I don't know what it is. It's like, I do this show, and I always say to people, you have different ears, as I said earlier, but sometimes people say something about the song, you know, go fuck yourself. Like, you, don't, you don't know. You haven't heard what I've heard in this song. No, I had a guy that got so upset at me about uh, my take on Rust in Peace mm-hmm. last week, and uh, he was real upset that I <laughs> that I didn't take the song "Take No Prisoners" more seriously, <laughs> and uh, which I just find so fucking hilarious. And uh, and then he said uh, he said Rust in Peace is the greatest album of all time, and for you to have been so infantile, and uh, uh, you know he he thought I was being sacrilegious. And I, I'm like you. I'm like, dude, music's subjective. What's so beautiful about all of it is how different we can all see right. it and hear it. But then you're telling me Rust in Peace is the greatest record of all time. I'm going to have to just abandon all the logic I just said and appeal to just science. Just straight. <laughs> like, Put it in a lab. Put it in a tube. Rust in Peace is not the greatest record of all time. Sorry. Dawn Patrol is great, though. Hell yeah, Dawn, Dawn Patrol <laughs> is, is with no lie, my favorite Megadeth song. We end our lives as moles. That's my favorite, dude. We end our lives as moles. Uh, for people not aware, this is part of Mally, your podcast, uh, Clint Ethan's show, where they listen to the Big Four, which is a really inspired thing that you've done. And I sort of copied a little bit from my Tom Waits podcast, but it's been great hearing you and Ethan just trail through. And it's normally Ethan like bigging it up and he's listened to it since he was 16 and you just like mildly trashing it. <laughs> well, it's honest, you know, like yeah, no, I've definitely. never, I, I just never really checked a lot of that stuff out because, and Ethan's the same way, but he, I guess he just got into the big four more, but I just always had such diverse tastes. I was listening to Prince and Michael Jackson and all of Madonna mm. and a bunch of shit in the eighties and early nineties that wasn't hard music. And so it's fun, you know, and, and, um, uh, it, it's interesting to see why they belong together. Like, oh, okay. I get why these four bands are grouped together, but what you, what we're really finding out is that it's real clear why Metallica pulled so far ahead of those bands, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, some of the Amphrax stuff I couldn't really listen to. I was kind of cringing. Yeah, it's pretty silly. Hmm. And it's kind of it's like, pretty silly. what is silly? You know, because I mean, we both listen to a lot of goofy shit that we mm-hmm. both fucking love, like Guns N' Roses and, and, and Kiss or whatever. But, but yeah, there is a certain honesty and integrity at the heart there. But getting back to this song, getting back to Form Within. So uh, the groove becomes established. Uh, the, the drums come in here, you know, with or about a cooperation, the song's kind of moving forward. It's got a kind of 
angular edge to it, but there's nothing really surprising. And the connective tissue um, kind of between the main riff itself that comes in, that Stone Temple Pilots riff, and the verse riff, there's nothing there. Like, it sounds like it's descending to something, but there's just this dearth of ideas. It's quite kind of confusing, really. I didn't choose to plonk a little riff in there. And we get the verse... James is not really saying too much here for me. Forgive me, Father, he opens with as well, which is just very cliche. And just, or maybe he's going to rescue the song by some alternative. No, no, he's just coming with these here. He's sin, the mark of shame. He's the sin. He's guilty. I mean, again, with the post grunge that I mentioned before, Clint, it just feels a little aimless. Hmm. I, I interpreted that two, two ways through what I know about him growing up in Christian science, which is a really small subset of, I mean, some people even consider them cults, but it's a really intense <clears throat> subset of religious ideology where famously, you know, his mother passed away because she wasn't taking, you know, they don't believe in taking medicine right. and he would have to leave the science classes in school. And, you know, he's dealt with that shit before the God that failed and, you know, um, et cetera. But, I, so I, I know that about him, so I f I'm finding that interesting because what I love about Load and, and what I think this song really does, honestly, is I like seeing windows into James because I admire him so much and I look up to him so much. And I think starting from Dyer's Eve, I've outgrown that fucking lullaby. That's really where he starts to open and where you can see him. It's not a story about being in an insane asylum. It's not a story about a war hero who had his fucking arms and legs blown off. It's not a story from the Ten Commandments about... Um, about the plagues in Egypt. It's not about a war story that he saw an infomercial about disposable heroes. It's not about they're going to kick some ass and wear leather tonight. It's when he's coming into his 30s and he's starting to really grapple with who he is. I think that shit gets fully realized in Load and Reload. And in this song, so I, ch I choose it that way. And then I also have a similar evangelical background. I was an evangelical Christian for like 10 years. So... I think that, of course, it's cliche, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Okay, I think he does save it and turn it around because he's using a lot of religious imagery. He's talking about being branded a mark of shame, Cain and Abel, I guess. He talks about a thorn within, which is from a, from St. Paul. Uh, but I, I feel like this song is kind of a uh, an indictment of that, an indictment of the idea which is prevalent. As you're, you're not, a, are you a religious person? I don't think I know much about I'm you. I'm not. No, I actually despise religion. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm in a similar place, but you're you're familiar with like Judeo-Christian concepts, like original sin. Sure, everyone's born bad. Yeah, I was raised in a Roman Catholic uh, primary and secondary school. Yeah, so okay, cool, cool, right on. So, I, and and that's something that I believed in deeply for a long time, and I I think it was psychologically pretty traumatic. And coming out of that, um, like when I met Christopher Hitchens, I shook his hand and told him, "Thank you for emancipating me." from right. what I consider to be ideological slavery. And the concept of original sin was a big part of that. And I think this song really challenges that because he's saying, he's basically saying, okay, the, the teachings worked. I feel bad. I'm obviously doing bad things, but it's, he's grappling with this idea of like, but this is coming from within me. And he's like, should I look, he says, I'm branded the mark of shame. Should I look down disgraced or straight ahead? And what does he say? And know that you're, that you must blame. Like, this is what you do. This is your machine. And there's a really cool line, too, in the second verse when he says, find me guilty when true guilt's from within. And I love that idea of like – feels like an Instagram post by some Christian I, mom. I, I know, but he's trying to pack it into a five-minute pop. It's the writing I mean, as well. It's, it's actually the, 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 the flavor behind it. It's not Dylan-esque. It's not like Cohen. It's just kind of words on a fridge. It doesn't feel much craft behind it. I think the line for I am shadows and will follow you. One for I am shadows. Seven. That's like, what don't kill you, make you more strong. For I am shadowy. I am a shadow. For I am shadows. I don't know. It sounds like a sort of Tim Burton extra feature. Well, what don't kill you, make you more strong is, is Nietzsche, which I think is dope, but is he just said it. Quote, he said it's, it super weird. Yeah, exactly. He's, it's, well, he, he's fucked up the grammar. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's like super weird, but I like the idea. I mean, if I'm just trying to think about the idea of the song that I mm -hmm. think he does land, I love the idea of turning this idea of like everyone's bad. We're going to control you by making you feel bad all the time about who you actually are, like how you just physically respond to pressure in nature. And he's like, well, and but then you talk about feeling guilty, like you fucked up. And obviously he's a dude who's written a lot about fucking up. Low Man's Lyric is a huge, I fucked up big time. Low Man's Lyric is like his boys of summer or something. Right. And, uh, but I like the idea of him saying that like, really you can't be made to feel guilty by an external thing. Like you have to understand 
like for example, the thief on the cross. I always hated that story because I always felt like this guy obviously was a thief and a piece of shit. Probably he ended up being murdered on a cross publicly, and then all he does is says a magic spell, and then he gets to be go to heaven forever. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like what is that? The teaching of that is like it. It wears the facade of being a moral teaching, but is it really moral? And I think the song in James's way when he's in his like early 30s or mid 30s is trying to tackle that, and I think that's pretty dope. I don't think a lot of post-grunge artists were doing that no no i mean yeah they still retained a lot of the uh sophisticated thought processes that hetfield was investigating all the prior albums as well um i mean it's just not even the lyrics it's just the the, the tone of the guitars and the verses they're very sugary and and tepid uh been listening i was just mentioning before when i now but listened to a lot of janis joplin recently a lot of her woodstock stuff really liking her woodstock stuff and, and hearing loads of songs that i never really knew before going back finding the original albums i found the only album i think it's the only solo album she released when she was actually alive um i got them old cosmic blues again mama which is a great mm-hmm. album title from 1969. It's kind of her in ecstasy on the cover. But um, reading a lot of reviews, they can cover this as well, all music stuff. The band is terrible. The, the the band are a group of people who have no idea to do with her talent and just do very stolid progressions and, you know, don't enliven her in the slightest. And it just reminds me a little bit of this. None of the guitars are doing anything. It's kind of in that until it sleeps arpeggio territory, but but way off mark. Nowhere near as tasteful. Um, I don't like, you mentioned before that Alice in Chains war. It kind of mm-hmm. bothers me that it's all over the song and it's just kind of making matters worse. It's kind of softening the impact and it's quite toothless. <laughs> it's, it has no teeth. There's yeah. no teeth in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, the I mean, the, 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 yeah, I mean, these kinds of conversations ultimately kind of can reduce to a, I like it, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's what Alpha Metallica is, man. I don't really feel that way. I, like, mm-hmm. I, I, I see the difference between this and Until It Sleeps, for sure. Mm-hmm. But the truth I don't, is somewhere in the middle, I think. Yeah, I mean, it has teeth for me. I don't know why this song uh, resonates with me. It always did. One of the first um, Metal Up Your Podcast radio episodes we did... I was scared to do a radio episode and not just play only Metallica. So I did Metallica deep cuts. And I think this maybe was the first song I played on that because uh-huh. I feel like it's, it, you know, you, you're doing good work over there because you're bringing up every song indiscriminately. Every song is going to get its time in the sun, which I think is awesome. Uh, but this is a song that without some kind of forum like that would never really get any consideration. And I think that's all I want is some consideration. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And you know, we get a solo, a little solo, really. Uh, quite lab- labored, a bit inorganic, but it leers in. What, what do you make of Kirk's playing there? Are you proud of Kirk? <clears throat> well, I'm proud of James because that's James playing that. Ah, okay, I didn't realize. That's cool. And so I think that adds an, a little, a cool little dimension to it too. Like I don't know how they decide when he plays solos or not. Sure. I've seen him, you know, be self-effacing about his guitar playing. I think he's a wonderful guitar yeah. player. So I don't know if he only plays solos and stuff he feels really connected to. Obviously, nothing else matters. The middle part of puppets. There's certain sections of uh, Suicide and Redemption, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I like his touch on it because it's, it's this bluesy thing, but it's kind of left of center. It's not, it doesn't sound like Kirk, obviously, because it's not. Yeah. And he's got a cool touch, too. He's got a cool vibrato that's a little different that you can hone in on. I like that it's short and sweet, and I, just, I like hearing James play guitar, you know? Absolutely. And we get some more guitar towards the end as well, a lot of kind of soloing in the back corners of the song. Yeah, and that kind of sounds like Kirk to me. It's yeah, like definitely. he's kind of following the riff, and then he's kind of doing these little bluesy bends and pulls. Mm-hmm. And the song does kind of go on at the end. I do agree with that. He just keeps saying "Thorn Within," and we get the this. Even though I love the song, the super funny, the, like the "Thorn Within," he does that big yeah. yodely one. Um, but it does sound like they're having fun. I mean, it sounds like they're having fun playing it in the studio. It's a weird thing to me that they never played it live. Yeah. It's weird that so many of these they never even played one time. It's, uh, I mean, can you see this ever being pulled? Maybe like the 40th anniversary shows or something? Yeah, it would be some load. It would be a special about load. They're never gonna, they're never gonna play it in the wild. It's never gonna ever be in contention for any kind of real set list. So, and that's fine. I mean, maybe they tried it and it was awful. I, I've seen them say that about like the house that Jack built, that they tried it in a few sound checks and it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I've been in bands where we had a song that we all loved and we nailed it on the recording, but for whatever reason, this can't crack the code live. I understand that. Yeah. And it is a bit, I mean, can you see them ever doing some sort of load special tour playing the whole album? Mm, not a tour. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe a few nights. Maybe like they did the 30th anniversary shows. I don't think, I don't think they'll ever do a tour of it. No, no. no I guess we're coming up to the 25th anniversary of Load. 
So 21, maybe, is that right? So, yeah, yeah uh, maybe they'll celebrate that. I mean, it's not like an iconic fucking master level album, but you know, the fans love it and people are very familiar. It's very well saying. So um, we'll go, as we always do, over to at Metallica Pod on the Twitter to hear your feedback on this song. Got loads of feedback there. Uh, Tommy says, I love this song, especially lyrically. Anytime Hetfield's lyrics get introspective, you can totally count me in. This track has a lot of the looseness I really like about a lot of loads cuts and is rife with ear candy. Sadly, podcast was saying I personally love this track because see the fresh cats despising the lane that it lumbers in. For me, what could be perceived as a lack of dynamics in the riff is perfectly counteracted by some great climbs in the vocals form within rules. Nick McCoviak, a uh, good friend of both of our podcasts, I have a feeling that my opinion will line up more with yours than Clint's. I don't like it. I do find it boring and just there, occupying space. Um, Freyden saying I have a soft spot for Lotus. It was their first album I ever bought, so there are several songs that I really like on the record. This isn't one of them. Monty says boring chorus. Tritton really likes the chromatic riff, the intensity of the chorus. I wish the guitar solo would last longer. What a waste of a great moment. Not the best song on load, but still better than Cure for sure. Uh, Clint, I probably prefer Cure just for the main riff of anything. Yeah, I. Uh, mm, it'd be tough for me. I kind of consider them both in the same stew, you know. Sure. They're both kind of the same kind of a piece tasteless of pizza for cauldron me. of. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, yes. I don't want any of that gumbo. Like, take it out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a little more hot sauce on yours. Yeah, a little salt yeah, and pepper. Yeah. I get it. I, it like, it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're in Nashville. You're around a lot of talented musicians constantly, I'm sure. Like, Kirk's bluesy playing on load and reload. It's just when you weigh up to anyone, I can actually do. Like, think about Brad Paisley. Like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Like, what Kirk does on this is just. Really, I kind of roll my eyes. It's kind of stuff you hear in like guitar magazines and stuff. Is that what the pros should be doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've t- definitely disagree. I, th- I just feel like you can't compare Kirk Hammett to fucking Brad Paisley, dude. Well, let's go <sighs> ahead and just compare him to John McLaughlin and Pat Metheny. It's like you, that doesn't make uh, any sense. Both That's doing, apples and oranges. Uh, they're both doing bluesy solos. They're both doing sort of pentatonic runs. I know, but like. Yes, but one's in the context of, like, Pat Metheny's in the context of actual steeped in classical blues and jazz. Kirk mm-hmm. Hammett's doing it in the in the context of Metallica. Sure. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different. It's going to have his color on it. And Kirk's limitations, like a lot like Lars, I think, make up what I love the most about the sound of Metallica, especially in those records, in the Load and Reload records. Yeah, yeah, it certainly adds to it, no doubt. And they're all... You could have Steve Vai put a fucking solo on Thorn Within. That's <laughs> not going to make the song better for you, I don't think. No. And I would hate it. It's kind of what's weird about Marty Friedman with Megadeth. It's like his solos are so clean and good. Oh, but in yeah, a... you d- it annoyed me when you listened. I was waiting for Tornado of Souls, and I was like, I yeah. can't go mad here. You didn't really seem to react. You, just not for you, the solo. It's so weird. I like to listen to, like, I went through a big Steve Vai thing, a big Ingve thing. Mm. I like those records by themselves when I, I know what that package is that's being delivered to me. When I hear that kind of virtuoso stuff over, like, a normal rock song, it just, it takes me out of it. Huh. It's just too clean and good or something. I know that sounds so shitty of me, but mm. I like that there's a... um there's a rawness to Angus Young where he, it's like sometimes yeah. he's playing a solo and he, you feel like he might not land it. There's just something about that that fits the music so well. It doesn't take me out of it. It'd be too weird if he was too good. Slash, too, like especially when Slash really ramps up, like in Don't Damn Me, when it gets super fast yeah. and you're like, oh my God, is he's going so. It's so. It feels so like a, a crazy LA junkie playing with his eyes closed that the fear of him not landing, it's kind of what I'm attracted to about it. I can see that. And I think Eddie Van Halen straddles both of those really well. Like Eddie was... Van Halen is a great example of both. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. That dude is an alien for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I wanted to shout out Ridiculous Rock Records as well. Uh, I was re- reviews. Sorry, I was recently on their podcast uh, with Ray and Aaron discussing 1984 and Halen's 1984. I think that episode oh, will be nice. out by the time this drops. I would have mentioned it on the podcast before, but definitely go and uh, and check that out. Um, Clint, any final thoughts on Form Within? Um, I think it's a deep window. It's it's to me, it's in the lyrically in the vein of bleeding me. I don't think it's as good as bleeding me. But I think if you if what you're responding to in those records is who James is and what he's wrestling with, Thorn Within's a good good spot for that. And uh, I think musically it's cool too. It's in the it's in the vein of the Alice in Chains. Definitely, I mean, you're calling it post grunge. It's definitely very '90s sounding, yeah. which I which I think is fine. It's people who really like Master of Puppets are not going to like Thorn Within. That's fine. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just leave it there. If you like it, cool. If you don't like Load and Reload, you probably are not going to like Thorn Within. <laughs> no, no, it isn't going to win you over the way Memory Remain. People who don't like Load or Reload might hear Memory Remains live and be like, "Okay, I get it. This is pretty cool." That's mm-hmm. not going to happen with Thorn Within. I don't think. 
No, and even the central image as well. It's so insubstantial. Oh, there's a fawn in me. It's not like a dagger in your side or something. It's, I don't know. It, it, it's a little drained, perhaps. But whatever. We were going to disagree on this. Let us know what you think of uh, Fawn Within down below. Um, just on Metal at your podcast quickly, because obviously I'm a giant fan like everyone else is, and you mm-hmm. guys are routinely killing it. Um, you kind of do your own little Alpha Talica in a certain sense with the Metal Tales from the Road. Um, by right. my count, 57 of those you've done so far. Yeah, it's been, it's harder. Um, it, it gives me a lot of appreciation for what you do. It's definitely been harder since they moved the tour over to Europe. Mm, oh, just yeah, in terms just in terms of coordinating the logistics of talking to people. And then Ethan and I, for, for your listeners that may not know, Ethan and I both travel a lot for our jobs. So just coordinating all that with Wi-Fi and times and people are, and and another thing that happens in Europe a lot too, is people are traveling a lot more to go to these shows. So someone will go see them in Munich, but they won't live in Munich. So then they have to get home and then it's really, it's really given me an appreciation for what you do. But yeah, we've done a lot. We're trying to do the whole tour. I don't know if we're going to end up making it, but we're trying to do the whole thing where we let someone, a patron of the show, usually someone be an ambassador for every show. That's right. Yeah. And the problem what? is they they play almost the same set list as every yeah. show, so <laughs> yeah. it's tough. No, yeah, I mean, uh, I mentioned to you before, and I've said on the show, uh, Live on Four Legs, which is a Pearl Jam podcast, and they mm-hmm. review, you know, everything from Soldier Field 95 up to all the Madison Square, whatever. And, you you know, you know Pearl Jam really well. Like, they're the sort of band mm-hmm. that do a different set every night, and, you know, depending on the mood or whatever, and they'll just suddenly do no code in backwards order or, you know, something like that, or do a special set. Whereas Metallica, yeah, you kind of get in the, you know, the early double punches and the slots rotating, etc. So they're... Is it Australia next, or are they still in Europe for a bit? They've got another leg of Europe, and then it's Australia and New Zealand. What's cool, though, about what we're doing at Metal Up Podcast is after the Worldwide cycle ends, which I think is going to be in October or November, yeah. we, we're opening the Metal Tales up to kind of like what you were saying with this other – I haven't heard that Pearl Jam podcast, but yeah. we're going to open it up to any show that anyone's been to. So that's going to be more exciting because it's going to be the Orion Festival in New Jersey or Atlantic City. Sure. It's going to be you know New Year's Eve in 98, whatever. It's going to be – it's going to cross the whole career. So that's going to be more interesting, I think. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. And you know, I've kind of done a few of those myself going do it going back and just reviewing land, landmark concerts or whatever like the one in Kentucky Speedway that doesn't have James on it and like System mm-hmm. of Down it's playing all that sort of stuff and you get uh, Fuel with Kid Rock on the on the scratching discs which, which is pretty fucking crazy but even just to pick a random show like oh where were they in February 94 okay yeah let's do Alabama and like you know something might not have happened but whatever it's still worth it yeah, and the set list is going to be different. You know, if, we, if we're spacing them out like that, it's going to be a lot more interesting. There's going to be more of the factor of like, ooh, I want to. What were they playing on the shit? It's the shed tour in '94 when Kirk had dreadlocks. Were they, sure. were they playing early versions of Thorn Within? I don't know. You know, you'll have to listen to the episode. So, and you know, in terms of the future, I just saw on Twitter now you've released a new episode. Uh, obviously, I haven't listened to it, but you say you sort of talk about the future of the show. You're doing Slayer, right? One of your big four ones. Yeah, we're going to do all the most recent albums from the big four. So Repentless by Slayer, Dystopia by Megadeth, which won a Grammy, by the way. And That's then, cool. uh, For All the Kings by Anthrax. Just to kind of see, where, we've been doing their biggest albums, like Rust in Peace and Countdown to Extinction. We did Among the Living by mm-hmm. Anthrax, uh, South of Heaven, or Seasons in the Abyss by Slayer. So anyway, we're going to kind of just see where they're all at now. Yeah, that's a good, that's, it's a good, that's good idea. Yeah, it's a nice twist, definitely. So, so I mean, what about the future of the show then? Like, you know, I'm coming to my end, but I am still going to keep going and doing other stuff. And you know, it seems like you guys keep growing and growing. I don't, I don't want to be negative, like say there is an end in sight. But like, do you have any contingency plans, or are you just going to keep going? I think for now we've got another year in us, but I, I think we're just trying to figure out if we want to keep doing it and what if we do, what it'll look like when the when the when the tour ends. It's obviously going to be a little quiet, and the boys are going to go on what I assume will be a well-deserved break. I don't know when they're going to go back in the studio. On the one hand, that means is there going to be less interest in a podcast about Metallica? On the other hand, is there going to be a vacuum where a bunch of Metallica nerds, myself included, are going to want somewhere to go and congregate and talk about their favorite band? So we've still got people to talk to. Like We've still got a bunch of cool guests lined up, and we've got, we've got a master list that we've, we're still working through. It's about yeah. another year. And uh, we want to like do it all and finish it all. And then we look at it the way I was saying about your show at the top of the show. Like we want this to be a big, beautiful body of work that any Metallica fan can binge on whenever they need to, you know, feel like they Mm -hmm. have friends out there who like the same band they like. In terms of what we're going to do, we've talked about like rebranding it and trying to talk about more broad music. We've talked about 
just being done. We're not really sure, um, but we are getting to the point where those conversations are making more sense, you know? And worth it's saying, making more sense to come up with like an exit plan. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's hard to rebrand though, but even metal up your podcast doesn't necessarily feel like as Alf Metallica is as Metallica and you know, whatever guys are going to follow you and you've got other avenues already, right? You've got a podcast. Ethan's got a podcast. Yeah, we've got other stuff we're doing. He's got a really cool podcast called The Pirate Satellite where he interviews people kind of around Nashville and just in different entertainment industry stuff. And I've got a kind of a quirky, weird podcast with my friend Bob Schneider. So we'll see, man. I mean, I don't – you know, you you seem much more uh, – I think you have a lot of podcasting in your future. I don't, I'm not sure how much I – for me, it's going to depend on what's going on with work and with my family – because as you know, it's 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 quite time consuming. So. Of course, yeah. I, I don't have a wife and a kid either, so like the fact that you balance that is crazy. And I also don't tour with this giant country star, so Yeah, yeah, that tends to make it a little more difficult. A couple of years ago when we first started, it was like a fun way to pass the time, but as my daughter's gotten older and a little more active and mobile sure. You know what I mean? All that shit that probably is boring your listeners right now. But for now we're having a good time. Like it's no it's no sour grapes. We're yeah, not yeah, like of course. announcing the end of the show. Uh, but we are kind of, I think, trying to take some responsibility for the people who really like the show and starting to begin that convo. You know what I mean? No, yeah, and, you know, just obviously you guys can go support Melly. But you, you know about Melly Pockets if you listen to the show. And I think you mentioned before you were going to get, like, James's guitar tech on or something. Is that still going to happen? Yeah, yeah, we've been talking to Chad. It's Sick. just that they've been in Europe, and uh, I've been. this summer's been really crazy for me. So the plan is, I think, after this next leg, before they go to Australia, we're going to have Chad on. That's and he nice. was really cool about it. Like yeah. he, he, You know, some of these people that we've talked to that work in Metallica's inner circle, we're like, dude, come on the show and tell us about like what your life's like and what it's like working in this organization. Uh, many of them are really willing to do it. They just can't believe people are interested in it, which I find so, like... I'm like, dude, I could talk to you about being Metallic James's guitar tech for like six days straight. Mm. All yeah. the gear and all the tours. I can't believe and... he's willing to do it. I can't believe they don't have to sign NDAs. Like, Well, I always put it, I don't know how you do when you like reached out to Fleming or or, um, or Ray, but you know, I always try to look, put them uh, at ease really early on in the front of the convo and say, listen, this isn't a hit piece. This yeah. isn't oh, about yeah. dirt. This isn't about gossip. This is about celebrating the work. So... If there's any boundaries you want to set, you just let us know. And that I find that that kind of they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, if I don't want to talk about when I fell down at the Paris show, whenever Chad fell down, or if I don't want to talk about uh, when James got mad at the Grammys and threw his guitar, then he knows that we're going to respect that, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, we're having him on, and we're having the Bocasa guy on. Uh, nice. We're working on. We're kind of slowly working towards having Newstead on, but that's been a slow what? process. Damn. Yeah, Shit. so it's cool, man. It's exciting, but we're just trying to fit all that in and like the the little corners of our lives that open up, you know, because we've got day jobs and families and stuff. So, but it's like Newstead comes on, but he only wants to talk about the Newstead record. <laughs> yeah, well, we would have to we would have to blindside him. We'd have to promise him we'd only talk about heavy metal music, his record, and yeah, then just like, dump a bunch of Metallica like, questions on him. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Where's the eco brain stuff? You promised exactly." An or maybe kidnap him like they do in Airheads. <laughs> or like the King of Comedy, you know, like oh, yeah. pull, the, pull the Jerry Lewis thing on him. And, uh, I mean, just finally, I remember on the show you mentioned it, but just regale our listeners. There was mm -hmm. a guy, wasn't there, who was at a meet and greet, and he wore a Metal Your Podcast shirt, and like Lars mm -hmm. commented on it or something. Yes, yeah, so we have a, a friend of the show and like a devoted listener named Chris Yurgis. We call him uh, Metallaclaws because he's... <clears throat> he's just been a really generous fan. He he donated a lot of stuff for us to give away. He, um, I could go on and on about all the really right. generous shit that Chris has done, but that's the kind of dude he is. And uh, he's an engineer. I believe he lives in Colorado. And uh, he's just a huge fan, and he loves the podcast. And uh, he got he'd already done a hardwired experience, which is hardwired experiences where you get to meet the whole band, including James. So he had a second one coming up, and he was gonna wear the <laughs> he's gonna wear our metal up your podcast shirt. Basically, forcing the boys to talk about <laughs> our podcast, which I found really awesome and also kind of like, um, you know, just self deprecating. Oh, yeah. Like, oh no, what if they hate it or yeah. whatever the fuck? So, anyway, he did it. And uh, I guess the first thing you do 
is they put all 10 of you in a line. And then the first thing you do is you go up and do your photo with them. Then you get back in the queue and then they come talk to you privately. So he says, and we did a whole episode about this, but he's like, when he said when he was walking up to the band, uh, that Lars specifically was like, are you one of the guys from the podcast? And Chris was like, no, I'm just a fan. I'm not one of them. And so that he kind of touched base. So it's like, I guess Lars knows who we or is aware of us or whatever. And then when they came back through the line, he talked to Lars and Kirk specifically about the podcast and they seemed to be aware of it and thought it was cool or whatever. Um, I don't think he got a response from James or Robert, which James makes sense. I don't know about Robert, but he did tell, uh, he did tell Kirk Hammett that I was the guitar player for Rodney Atkins, which I thought was pretty funny. (laughs) He's like the caught up in the country guy. Well, hey man, that would be fucking amazing. The uh, we just had a guy come sub our uh, guitar tech with us. This is so weird. He's Luke Combs' guitar player. Luke Combs is like the biggest thing in country music okay. right now. This guy has a Luke is taking like five weeks off. So this guy just to make some extra money came out and was our guitar tech this week, mm. which he's on a much bigger level than us. And he was teching for us. It was so weird. But he's a massive uh, Metallica fan. Mm. So we just had a lot of fun on the bus this week talking about Metallica. And he was like. I was telling him about all this stuff that you and I are talking about. Of this, we had this fan and the podcast, and he, they were aware of whatever the work we were doing. And he was like, "Dude, I wonder if they really are. I wonder if James is a Luke Combs fan because you know James dabbles in oh yeah country music, but I could just see him. I could see in his you know it, hovering above his head like he was being serious. Like, wow, maybe next time we play Colorado, I can try to get James Hetfield on the guest list and." I'm like, God damn it, dude! There is a don't meet your heroes element to it too, where I don't know if by the end of this whole project we're going to meet them or anything. And that might be just as well, you know? Yeah. I can see Ethan on it's electric. I really can. Well, what do I mean, motherfucker? What's going on? Why? Uh, I, I think on it's Lars electric. is a Reliant K guy. I just get that sort of vibe. <laughs> Reliant K and Oasis yeah. just 24 seven. Like, Who would you want to meet more than more? Than, like who's the number one? If you only meet one of the dudes, who would it be? Oh man. Uh, Lars, I think would be the easiest to get on with. And you know, would you would you have like questions and stuff like would, would you be ready to go? Hell yeah! I mean, you know, the walls aren't that hard to breach. Like I found this yeah. with the Tom Waits podcast. Okay, it's a bit more minor, but we've had like his his drummer on who works with him right now and stuff. And like the Van Halen podcast that I follow, David Dave and Chains, they've had Sammy Hagar on like a few times. Whoa. So you know, it, it can happen. It's not just a roadie. It's like people will go. Metallica, though, I think are the biggest band currently in the world. Like, yeah. so it's kind of you know they're in a different sort of stratosphere. But um, but did but, you tell did you tell Tom's uh, drummer to? T- I mean, was he like, hey, I'll tell Tom about it? I mean, uh, was he? No, actually, my my friend did that interview, so I didn't actually ask him that. But no, I don't think so. And uh, no, I, I, Tom Waits has never done in a podcast ever. He hasn't even done Marin. So, wow. Yeah, I am kind of just hoping Chad will really enjoy the experience and uh, yeah, we'll love it. and 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 be like, hey, dude, you should really check this out. Uh, when we we've become friends with Alago through the podcast, and oh, he's yeah. like, dude, when, anytime Metallica's playing in New York, just come up there and we'll all go together and we'll go backstage. And I, I, he's being he's being for real, but Dang. we just couldn't really make that work, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going he's, to S, are you going to S and uh, I'm currently I I was really considering it then it was off the table now i'm back to really considering it so i have a show on the 7th in north carolina which would mean that night the bus is going to roll and i have to stay and figure out a way to fly to san francisco i was i just have a lot of figuring out to do because the day after that show uh is my birthday and then the day after that dave matthews is playing the same arena so okay i'm trying to turn it into a big birthday uh smash for me that's cool that's cool yeah i mean i know you guys gave away tickets to that gig as well so that was just Woo. Yeah, we gave we, we were able to give away tickets to patrons, and you know it's that's going to be a night to remember for sure. I'm going to definitely try to go see it in the theater if I if I can. I don't know if are they are they showing it over there in Europe been, too. I saw on the press release that it was worldwide, so I imagine yeah. we're at least going to get a London release. So yeah, hopefully. And I wonder if them putting it in theaters means that they'll later release it on a DVD or Blu-ray or whatever too. So you would hope so. Yeah, I mean certainly it is a huge deal. I love the poster as well. Like the use of the F holes on the design, ingenious. So good, right? Mm. The S and the M. Mm. Yeah. Really cool. Really fun. Cool. Yeah. But uh, really cool. but yeah, Clint, this has been so good, man. You know, always great. A privilege, really, to have you on the show. Like, love Metal Good Podcast since day dot. And we've been in pretty much constant commune since we recorded. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're a peer out here. Like, there's other Metallica podcasts, I know, but you're the big one and I'm sort of there, you know? 
Yeah, well, anytime I get upset or grumpy or pissed off, I always like reach out to you. I'm like, can you believe this crap? Can you believe what we're dealing with out yeah, here? You, you get it a lot worse. Like, you get it a lot worse. I think I also get butt hurt more, too. Like, I just, we work so hard to put this goddamn thing out, and then someone's like, well, you didn't pay enough attention to take no prisoners. It's like, okay. Right, right, right. All right, motherfucker. And like, uh, yeah, all your music and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, there's lots on Patreon. Your sort of um, metal side project and all your covers. But is there anywhere else you'd like people to check out? Um. Well, so other than the touring thing, I'm also a songwriter for Rough Trade Publishing. Which, by the way, we have an office in London, so I'm oh. trying to get them to get me out there to do some writing. It'd be cool to meet up with you if they yeah, do that. Definitely. But uh, I write a bunch of songs that end up on people's records and on film and TV. You might not know them, but I write songs that are just for me that are a little left of center that are on my SoundCloud page. And that's just whatever. Just look up Clint Wells SoundCloud. And then uh, we do these cool cover EPs. If you like Metallica and like to hear people cover them, we've covered a bunch of weird Metallica songs. Those are on iTunes and Spotify. And then there's a Lunar Satan record coming out this fall that's going to be a vinyl, a vinyl a limited edition vinyl. That's a, that's a side project that I do by myself mm. about Satan in space. And it's definitely metal. It's, it's, it's definitely death metal type shit. I think I remember you coming up with that. Like, I remember you just conversationally dropped it in and then there you go. It's, it's, such a, it's such a good outlet for both of you as songwriters, the podcast. I love that it has that facet. Yeah, man, it's been fun. It's been a fun angle to be like, oh, we're joking about a metal project called Lunar Satan. Wouldn't that be hilarious? And then the next week I started really writing it and was able to write it and record it. And then, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we were able to give our patrons and our listeners a gift, like a covers EP, and that we can actually facilitate doing that. It's been a cool part of the ride for us, you know? To take a song like Motor Breath and make it all acoustic and dreamy and mm-hmm. to for Ethan to take the memory remains and make it reggae. It's just yeah. been a fun it's been a fun part of the show that I don't think we anticipated. All right, guys. Uh, at Metallica Pod, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Patreon and iTunes are there if you enjoy the show and you'd like to get back to show, of course, uh, the Patreon and iTunes and all the other links for Metal Your Podcast follow as well. Um, what do we have coming up? Through the Never next week with Danny Derryberry who got famous, mm-hmm. really, off MUYP, and To Live Is To Die. So that's the next week, and uh, yeah, we're back for other episodes following from that. Clint, as always, a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Long live Alpha Metallica. Metallica.